My name is Tamir Berkman, aka Divorce Cowboy. Each episode of this podcast is an interview with a man who not only survived, but thrived after separation. I hope these stories inspire you to get going, not give up, and find your truth. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining me again for another episode of Divorce Cowboy. And um, it's uh, it's a pleasure to have uh, Trev here today. Hi, Trev. How are you going? How are you, Tamir? Great to, uh, to connect. And we connected through a Facebook group called Men Thriving After Separation, uh, started by a blog called Ty Colling. Um, and, yeah, and Trev and I were... Um, were um, pretty engaged in, in that group, still are. And um, yeah, I thought it would be great to have a chat with you today. Thanks for having me, Tamir. Awesome. So uh, maybe we'll start with just, um, yeah, tell me a bit about your separation. Right. So back in, um, back in 2002, we, we got married. Um, so we've been together, we were together 17 years. Um, obviously, as you do, you share information with each other around what has happened in previous relationships so that you don't carry that stuff forward. Um, one of the things she shared was having had an abusive relationship prior to me, which led to her having depression. Um, what that did within our relationship over the years was she ended up withholding intimacy on all levels, not just sex, which is important for a relationship, but kissing, holding hands, hugging, the, the whole gamut of, of intimacy was put on hold several times, um, which can make it quite hard for somebody who's like myself, whose love language is physical touch and quality time. Um, so that was kind of difficult. So every time I'd try and bring that up, I'd end up getting yelled at um, with her saying she needs space and so on and so forth. So over the years, what I learned to do was to basically shut myself off emotionally around that stuff and give her the space. Um, and for, for people who live with people with depression, it's quite common to be told, well, you need to find a way to take care of yourself, keep yourself sane, if you will. Um, so what I did was I was getting back into sport, um, starting hobbies and bits and pieces to occupy my time and keep busy. Um, that, however, led to complaints from the ex that I was never there enough, that wasn't giving her enough attention and all that sort of stuff. Um, so I cut back on it all so that I was there. Um, fast forward at some point, well, at least two occasions, um, obviously, intimacy was there because we've had two beautiful daughters come along. So that doesn't happen without some form of intimacy somewhere. Um, unfortunately, they were both very traumatic and emergency childbirths, which impacted more on the ex's mental health stuff. And I don't think that really got addressed or resolved um, since our youngest was born. And so what actually ended up happening is in 2017, when our eldest daughter just started school, just turned five-ish, I came home one day and from work early 
and caught my ex having an affair with a work colleague of hers. Um, and so that was pretty, as you can imagine, pretty emotionally destroying. Um, I developed a lot of anxiety and panic attacks and stuff as a result. Within the first two months of, of discovering that affair, I actually lost 20 kgs in body weight, um, which is pretty rapid weight loss. Um, looking back, I actually felt all right in, in my body having lost that much weight, but I'd rather have done it in a good, healthy way rather than in that. Um, so that's kind of what happened back in 2017. Um, we worked through what I thought we were working through, trying to patch things up. Um, initially, she blamed me for the affair, um, saying that I wasn't spontaneous enough around intimacy, which is really hard when you're told not to initiate intimacy. It's kind of a contradiction. Um, to be told that I wasn't interested in the finances um, when I was actually doing my part-time job plus two additional jobs to bring in the extra money. Um, a whole pile of stuff I got blamed for, which at the time felt completely unfair and just added to all that emotional stuff of, well, this is what you told me you need me to do and I'm doing it and it's not enough, but now it's my fault and, and so on. So we continued being together. Um, she went to counseling for her issues around depression and previous relationships and so on. Um, the idea was that from there, we would then do joint counseling to work through what had led up to where we were at. She kept putting that off and putting that off. Eventually we did get to joint counseling um, and at that joint counseling, it would have been almost a year later. We, um, she asked for a trial separation, um, which I didn't want. I wanted us to keep working on our marriage and on our relationship. I was committed. Um, at the time, in my head, I'd made a commitment for life. That's what marriage was for me. And so I was wanting to work through. I was blaming her depression. Um, she was getting counseling for that. So in my mind, there was a bit of, well, if that can get sorted, then we'll be back on track. Um, throughout that next six months, I was in separate bedroom, we were together in our own bedroom, back in separate bedrooms, so we were trying different things. So I thought we were doing okay. Um, prior to our joint counseling session, immediately after discovering her affair, um, I needed something for me. So I went and got some counseling for me and that actually ended up being weekly for the next two years to work through where I was at um, and what I needed. Um, when that was really, really helpful. Um, I say that looking back and looking at where I've come, but I can't tell you what we talked about. There's, there's a lot of blanks from that time, just emotionally blocked out blanks. I can't tell you what the counselor I talked about or covered majority of the time there. So but I'm picking that because of where I've got to now that the foundation then was really good because of what the council was doing for me. So Michelle, the council was really awesome. Um, coming back forward to 2019 now, um, early 2019, we've been through the, the joint counseling. I'm still seeing my individual counselor. 
Um, my ex has said, we're doing good, we're okay, I'm doing okay, everything's fine. Um, that's February 2019, April 2019, I came home from work and caught her and the same work colleague together again for the second time. Um, so at that point, that's when I decided that, well, that's it, we're over, we're done. Um, you need to move out, kicked her out, smacked him in the head, bruised my knuckles, a lot of anger, um, resentment, everything going on there all at once. Um, so I felt betrayed, obviously, because of the commitment I'd made, hurt, lost, um, disrespected, confused, numb, angry, like a whole range of emotions going on at once, even like no emotion at times. Um, it was just, just all confusing altogether. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much leading up to our separation. Um, yeah. Um, what's next? Um, so yeah, so when that happened, I kicked her out. I still had to go and pick up our girls from daycare. Um, they had no idea what had been going on, what had happened. They'd gone to school and daycare first thing in the morning. Suddenly their whole world's changed, ripped apart. Mum's not home, no idea why. I'm having to get pick them up, get them home, get them dressed, get them fed, make up an excuse for mum not being here, whole range of that stuff. I say that now listing it off, but again, that whole night is a blank. I can't remember the entire night. I'm assuming that's what I did because they're still alive today, two and a half years later. Um, yeah. So it was, it was, yeah, just really hard point in time that, that day. Um, as a result of all of that coming together, basically I zeroed out on all of my self-esteem, self-worth, self-belief, self-image, self-confidence, basically everything to do with myself. I, I literally hated everything about me. Um, like if I wasn't good enough for the person I was in love with and I'd committed two thirds of my adult life to um, and done everything right according to what they told me then really, in my mind, I wasn't good enough for anything or anyone. Um, that's the point I'd reached. Um, complete dark, everything was just, yeah, gone. Um, the only thing that kept going for me, that kept me going was my kids being there, needing to be there for them. Um, obviously they had no choice in what had happened. So yeah, that's pretty much leading up to the separation. Um, so yeah. So, what do you do then? Like you're by yourself in the house with two girls, your ex moved out or just went out somewhere? Yeah. Um, so she went flat, uh, she went, moved in with some friends initially and then boarding with some other friends after that. Um, so yeah. So, so basically after I kicked her out, obviously life's really hard. There's like a lot of, unknowns that I've got to deal with and manage and cope and try and organize with no idea even where to start um, or whether I'm even going to cope with anything um, and then I've got to worry about not just dealing with my own emotions and mental health but I've also got my two girls who are only four and six years old and I've got to work through their family's been ripped apart they've got no idea I've got to work through their emotions as well be there for them plus myself um, so Every day I'd be like anxiety and panic attacks and stress over, 
Uh, how am I going to be able to afford to live where I'm still living, pay the bills, look after the girls, go to work? Um, a whole pile of stuff that basically I'd never expected to have to do on my own anymore because I'd been married for 14 years. Moving forward, the view was that it was a joint thing the whole way through. So suddenly now I'm on my own again, but with kids. Um, like, where do I start? What do I need to do? Um, so just prior to the separation, though, as a way to try and help improve our finances, I'd actually been applying for a new job, for a full-time job, rather than all these part-time jobs all together at one point. And I'd actually applied for 52 jobs. Um, so kind of when I was getting blamed for saying, well, you're not interested in the finances, it's like, here I'm applying for 52 jobs. Like, I'm interested, I'm committed, you know? Um, out of those 52 um, applications, I only got two interviews. Luckily, I was able to get one job out of those two interviews, which is quite good. The challenge, though, was for me, it was recognizing that I needed to be able to sort the finances out to keep going. Um, otherwise, I wasn't going to be able to stay where I was living. I couldn't pay the debt and I couldn't feed the kids and all that stuff. So I needed the job. But the job, changing jobs, came with the, the difficulties and the challenges of having been in one job for 11 years already with all those support networks and friends and everything I'd known, now having to leave all that at a real crisis moment in my life and move to a whole new job with all new people I don't know, I've never met, while I'm still trying to deal with myself and everything that's going on. Um, so that was a real challenge. Luckily, I, I really lucked out and, and the people I'm working with um, in the interview, I just told them straight out that this is what's happened. And, you know, if you want me, great. If you don't, then I've just got to keep looking. And they took me on knowing what was going on and everything, which is really supportive. And they have been supportive the whole way through, which has been great. Um, I don't think without, I think without that, it would have been really challenging still. Um, so, yeah. Wow, so that, um, that's required quite um, a bit of courage to admit that to your new employer. Well, I went my new employer at that point, but yeah, to, to me it was, I can't go and start a new job and then have crap happening around me um, without them knowing because then that ran the risk of them saying, well, this is too much for us to handle. Um, we're going to have to let you go because it's just too much. Um, what had happened prior after the first affair in 2017 was my work standards and performance and everything had dropped off massively as a result of me trying to work through what was happening. Um, so work colleagues had seen me lose all this weight and were concerned that I was having, that I had cancer, that I was dying of cancer because of sudden weight loss. Um, but they were also complaining to my manager about my work performance and my work standards and everything. Um, and so I had to actually go in and see my manager and explain what was going on. And up to that point, I had no idea how to talk to anyone about it, whether to talk to anyone about it, uh, if I wanted to talk to anyone about it. You know? um, so I had to sit there and explain to my manager what had happened. And he was really supportive. And so he kept it to himself, basically, didn't let anyone else know, um, and so supported me the whole way through. So for me, when I started the new job, it was important that I had that support there still. So that was part of the reason for telling them in the interview. 
um, so that that part of it was taken care of. It was one less stress, one less worry that I needed to have at the time. There was enough going on already um, without having to add extras to it. So um, yeah, so that was the reason for telling the new boss. Um, and they've been really supportive um, the whole way through, like I said. Um, the, the new work colleagues have all been supportive. Like I never kept it from anyone. It was, to me, it was important at that point to make sure that they all knew if there was an issue with how I was feeling, that that was the reason. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, and that's, that's really interesting. And I really think that takes a lot of courage because I know about myself, I was... Um, having to deal with some guilt and shame and I was scared of even telling my parents. Oh my. Yeah, no, I definitely didn't. I just definitely didn't tell my family at all until after we'd, until I'd kicked her out. They never knew about the first affair. It wasn't until after I'd kicked her out and then had to explain why we've separated now um, before I told them. Yeah. yeah. So almost it's, it's easier to um, put it forward in a, um, professional context yep. or employment or even to another, um, to, to a counsellor or to a coach than, um, than parents and family. Oh, absolutely. Mm. Now, I, I, you know, I don't, it wasn't because I was um, ashamed or, or felt guilty. Um, I'm not really sure what it is. My parents separated when I was nine. So about the same age as my eldest daughter is now. But they have stayed friends the whole way through. There was never any animosity that we were aware of. They see each other all the time. And we're talking like 40 years later, they're still friends. Um, so that was the role model I had. So it wasn't an issue of, well, what I've seen is when you split up, you just hate each other forever. And then that's it. It's like I actually had a role model where that wasn't the case. Um, I remember being told to when, sorry? Was it helpful to have that as a role model? Is that something that you thought of when you were going through separation? It's not, it isn't something I consciously thought about, um, but it is there of, well, I know it's possible. Um, is it a situation that, that I want, um, that I think we can have? Um, and I might cover that a bit later on. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, um, I, I remember my parents telling me that when they had to go to court to finalise their divorce and separation back in the early, uh, late 70s, early 80s, they um, had to go and see a judge. And the judge walks into the room and they're sitting together at one table and their lawyers are sitting together at a different table. And the judge was highly, highly confused because you are separating divorcing and yet you're sitting next to each other like your friends so he actually made them sit at separate tables because he just couldn't handle it himself so it it does happen but it is quite uncommon when you split it it can be amicable so yeah um where, whether we can get to that point i don't know dealing with the ex has been difficult since our separation um there have been a lot of things that she's done to just add to head to the issues. Um, I know I can, in front of the kids, I can be polite and amicable and get things done. Separately, no, <laughs> just can't do it. 
And that's based on what's happened over the years and since we've separated, um, coming back to that, putting self-worth on myself again, finding that and saying, well, I deserved better. Or I deserve to be treated better. Um, has she met that expectation of how I think I should be treated? Well, no. Um, so therefore, no. So yeah, it's a tricky one at times, but that is currently where I'm at. Um, like an example would be, it's been seven months since I kicked her out. I stayed in the house we were in because it's literally a five minute walk to the girl's school. So it's been seven months. I'm going to work as I do every day, lock the house up, lock the garage up. Um, I get a phone call from at work um, from the ex threatening me to get the police to come in and get me because I'd locked her out of the garage and she couldn't get her stuff out. Yet prior to that, there hadn't been any phone call to say she wanted to come and get it. Um, nothing at all to hint that, you know, next week can I come and get my stuff? Nothing, just suddenly a phone call at work threatening the police seven months after moving out. Um, then um, another point we had, um, our youngest daughter ended up in hospital for a week. And so I needed to look after our youngest daughter, our eldest daughter. Um, to do that though, because I had it wasn't due to have her that week, meant I had to get childcare to have her while I was at work. So I spoke to the ex about it, and we have a joint account for money with money in it to pay for things for the girls. And I said, well, I'm going to need to use that to pay for childcare, and she agreed to that. And then when I did it, she then accused me of misappropriation of funds from the joint account. So I was like, well, hang on a minute. You said I could use it. You agreed to it. You know, it's needed because the other one's in hospital. So. Know, th things like that. And then there's um, a lot of other bits and pieces throughout the time that have been really difficult trying to co-parent, as it were, with her, um, which just adds issues constantly. It was For a long period, it was like almost like weekly, there was something new, another little thing to have to deal with on top of trying to work with myself still. Um, so I'm after I kicked her out, I've gone back and got more counselling, and that was fortnightly for another year, um, on top of the previous weekly for two years. So it's like three years with the counselling. I'm still working on me, and then all this extra stuff is still coming in from the ex. They have to deal with on top of it, which is you know, not helping me get me sorted, if you know what I mean. Um, in the mix in there, while all that's happening, still we've got our two kids trying to deal and understand things. Um, our youngest has um, separation anxiety issues as a result of bits and pieces with, with mother and everything. Um, she's got toileting issues. So at school, um, she needs us to go in and help her get changed as she's you know, soiled herself or wet herself. At work, if it was my time with the girls, I could do it. I could leave work, go and do it. But then that became unmanageable because I could be out of town. I could be an hour away. And our daughter, who's five or six, has thought herself, she needs to change in there and then, not in an hour's time. So I, I contact the ex and I said, well, you know, I can't do it. I'm at work. Can you do it? And it was like, well, yeah, but I'm the last resort. So, well, okay, but can you do it? And then... Um, Keeping in mind she's now the last resort. The next time I needed her to do it, 
I'd tried a lot of other people and had no options, so I rung her back. And she then said, well, yeah, I can do it, but it's going to cost you $50 a week. So it's like, well, you know, it's our own daughter here. So I can't rely on the ex, obviously, to help meet the needs of our daughter. So I spoke to my manager at work in my new job there, and I'd only been there about a year. And I explained the situation. And since then, I've had to drop down from full-time work to casual work which means my hours aren't guaranteed um, just in order to, when I have my girls, be able to go into school at the drop of a hat and, and meet her needs and change her if she needs it. So that brought extra issues again around finances. Um, what needed to happen was I needed to go on social welfare and things in order to, to have money coming in still. Um, and for a lot of us, and for me, especially at that point in time, was finances was a big thing. It's a big thing. We need to make sure we've got those sorted. Um, a lot of people's issues are around money and stuff. So it's like, so now I've got to go and apply for social welfare and be reliant on that. Um, one of the things that was a really big advantage. So I can ask you uh, about the point that you said that you're having all these um, arguments with your ex. You still yes. are in counselling at this point. Yes. What? How does counselling help you to deal with that? Right. So what we were doing was we went through and had a look. When I first heard of um, Ty Kaling with Men Thriving After Separation Facebook group, um, I got in touch with Ty and we had a bit of a conversation. And one of the things Ty brought up was you know, what do I want my life to look like moving forward? And so I brought that up with the counsellor and we're talking with the counsellor. And we came up with a list of what are the things right now that are causing me anxiety and issues? Um, so we can make a list of, of them. And we made a list. And when we went through, we looked at them. We said, well, which ones can I control? And which ones can't I control? And a lot of the stuff the ex was doing, I had no control over what she does, when she does it, why she does it. What I do have control over is my reactions to those. Do I let it get to me? Do I let it upset my day? Do I let it throw everything else out? Um, all that sort of stuff. And one of the, the things that came out of that was that financial thing was I need to know that my finances are stable. I can control that. I can't control her helping my daughter at school. That means I've got to drop my hours down. That affects my finances. What can I do to secure the finances and make sure they're stable, as an example? Luckily for me, just after we separated, one of the things that I did was get in touch with a budgeting service called Christians Against Poverty. Um, and they're pretty much all over the world. They're a free service. Whether you're Christian or not, it doesn't matter. They'll help you. I had joint debt I had to clear and the bank wasn't going to work with me on how to do it. So that was just adding to that mental stress around the finances. Cap went and helped me set up a budget, pay stuff off. So just prior to having to drop my hours down at work, I'd actually got to a point of being debt free because of the work that Cap did for me. So that gave me a big advantage because I knew that I didn't have any debt hanging over me, that I could drop the work down, the hours down, which meant to drop in pay and income, but then I didn't have any debt 
how is that at that point of you being debt free? How is that affecting your mental health and your self worth? Oh, that was that was huge. Um, it was definitely a big step forward because what it did was it showed me that what I'd been saying we should be doing for our finances all those years and getting ignored on and then getting blamed for for the affair um, is actually what we should have been doing and what I did, and that resulted in being debt free. Um, so that was a huge confidence boost to say, well, I was right. I knew what I was talking about. Um, so therefore, if, if she was wrong at that point, what else was she wrong about, about me? You know, um, am I an attractive person? Because part of the blame was also that she hadn't been attracted to me since 18 months before we got married, which was back in 2005. So we're talking 14 years ago before the, the, the separation, that whole time she hadn't been attracted to me. So it's like, well, if she was wrong about the finances, what else was she wrong about with the blame that she was handing out? So that was a real big confidence boost for me to say, well, you know, I do actually know what I'm talking about. Um, so, yeah, so that was kind of a step towards that moving forward. I mean, I would say, well, I am capable. I am able to cope and do. Um, so yeah, um, so being able to drop that wages down, have the, the foundation of being debt free made that transition a lot easier um, mentally for me. And it reduced the energy and output that I was putting onto so many different things. Um, a lot of energy mentally goes onto each different thing. And if suddenly you don't have something to focus it on, you can move that energy to something else. Um, and what that did then was for me was being able to look at all those other areas that I could control that we talked about in counseling and to say, well, what else is there that I can control? Um, and one of the things we identified in the counseling was that I'd said I wanted to have a happy life again. And it's like, well, what, what does that mean? You know, what what does a happy life look like? Um, and it was like going through it with Ruth, my new counselor, and saying, well, bright colours, you know, happiness, being liked. Um, and then what does that look like? What In my life, what would that look like? And what I recognised was that I'd been shutting myself away um, to avoid people, to avoid having to share my emotions and everything and and because I wasn't good enough and I wasn't, you know, my self-esteem, all of that had gone. So I looked at everything with Ruth and we recognized that at home, the curtains were always closed. The sun was always kicked out. Um, clothes I was wearing were like grays and blacks and dark colors. Um, so talking with Ruth, one of the things we could do when we started recognizing that I've got more confidence now with having got that debt stuff sorted um, was taking that next step. And what it was was something really simple. And it seems really stupid, but it was really simple. And it actually started it growing, which is really good. And it was as simple as opening one curtain. Um, it doesn't seem like a lot when you look around the house, how many curtains you've got, but one curtain every day for a week. Um, and it was a challenge because you know, suddenly you're opening, it's, you're effectively opening yourself up to the world so people can see in. Um, 
But so it was one curtain just to let some sunlight in. And then um, it had to become two curtains for a week and then three curtains. Um, and then we eventually got to a point where it was, I could open up all the curtains in the house. Now there's sunlight coming in and the world's a bit brighter. Um, and then Ruth said, well, obviously the next step is, what is the next step? So it's like, well, I don't know, color. And so what my first counselor had suggested I'd do as a way of coping with that first fear and trying to stop ruminating over the negatives and, and all that self-talk that was going on and the pain and the trauma was to try and focus on, on the now, the here, the moment, um, what people call mindfulness. And so she suggested doing some art, which I'd never done in my life. So I've got no idea what I'm doing. Um, and so I gave it a bit of a go. And like the first, I don't know, a couple of weeks, I lasted probably five minutes. Um, and it was basically on the piece of paper, it's nothing more but a few scribble lines. And that was it. Um, but eventually that started turning into um, doing landscape drawings. Um, and you've probably seen some on, on Men Thriving. Yeah. Um, and then from Amazing. there, <laughs> thank you. And then from there, um, my daughter um, actually complained. Oh, in a way, it was encouraging, shall we say. She looked at one of them and she said, oh, it's really nice, Daddy, but could you use colour? I was like, well, no, because I'm happy with just pencil. Thanks, darling. Just, you know, normal black you know, pencil is great. Um, <laughs> but then talking, and then after the second affair, that, that art kind of lost, um, I kind of lost it because it carried a lot of negative emotion with it. Because when I'd sit down to try and do it, it drew me back to all of the negative stuff. That's the reason I was doing the art was because of the negative stuff. So in the end, it just took a back seat, disappeared. Since then, however, it's been coming back. I'm still doing some sketching now. I've done some painting over the time as well as introducing some color. But um, initially it wasn't there. And so Ruth said, well, you could try the drawing. I said, no, it's not going to work. And so we looked at other things and she said, well, what about gardening? I said, I've never done gardening either. Um, so she said, well, why not? So, so, so I started off with simply just you know, a little pot with some flower seeds and starting from there. Um, and then eventually that grew into, I think it was about 200 seedlings growing outside with the girls helping water them and stuff. And then we transported them into the garden. And then what we ended up with was the curtains open and the sun coming in and in this garden full of color with all these flowers. Um, so that changes that mental picture of how life is. Um, so yeah, so that, that was that part. A beautiful yeah. analogy to how um, creating an external change, creating an external positive change can affect that mental change internally. Oh, yeah, big time. It was, it was unexpected and good. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's a lot of stuff that me and Ruth talked about that, again, there's a bit of blanks in the initially, like in that initial period straight after, discovering the second affair and, and that's all blocked out as well. But the more I went back to Ruth, the more we were able to make those steps forward. So to me, counseling was really important now to get that stuff out and share it. Um, and like I say to people now, Tamir, it's okay to not be okay. 
and it's not a sign of weakness to go and ask for help. Putting your hand up and saying, I need help or getting counseling or even seeing the doctor about something is a real sign of strength, not, not weakness. Um, and that's because when you do something, even though it hurts, that takes bravery and, and strength. Um, it's, it can be really easy to just hide away and do nothing. And a number of the guys through the group that I've spoken with over time, they still two, three, four years later are ruminating in those negative thoughts. And they haven't quite got to that point yet of being prepared to put their hand up and say, I need help. Um, they'll mention that they're going through this stuff, but when you suggest, well, have you tried this? Have you asked for a counselor? And there's all these free services. You don't even have to pay. You just go and say, I need this. Um, and they haven't. And that's, that's quite disappointing on the level, but also quite sad for them that I can't make them do it. They've got to be able to do it themselves. Um, if you, you can drag someone along, but unless they want to do it, unless they're at that point, they're not going to do it. Um, they've got to find it in themselves. And it's there. It just needs something to bring it out. Yeah, um, yeah and you're absolutely right. It takes courage to, to actually be able to call for help and save yourself. Yep. Save myself. I was just like lost in the in the bush somewhere, and the and the brave, courageous thing to do is to send that signal. Oh, absolutely! Take me out of here. It, it comes down to yeah. It comes down to putting a value on yourself and saying I'm worth doing this for. I'm worth mm -hmm. something better. Um, I'm worth making that effort for. I'm not asking somebody else to make it for me. I'm making it for myself because I know I'm worth it. Um, so yeah, that's right. Absolutely, um, and on, and on that, I, I remember when I had I had one point when I had about four or five people that supporting me. So that's included like a psychologist and a and an equine therapist and a um, a counselor and a mentor, a coach, and I felt so worthy. I was just like, yes, I'm worthy of five people. Oh, that's um, exactly taking care of me and supporting me. And I called it my support ring. And it was an amazing feeling to feel so worthy. Oh, yeah. Um, like we've, we've talked before, there's, um, within therapy, there's, there's, there's an holistic approach where we talk about the entire person. And we're all made up of different parts, but there's a lot of, a lot of um, models throughout therapy in the world that focus on four main areas, really, which is our physical health, our mental health, our spiritual health, and our social network, which includes our friends and family and so on. And what I've found since the separation is when those four come together, it actually gives us a lot of strength and a lot of hope to move forward. And I know for myself, just getting in touch with the universe again, as it were, um, bringing that sunlight in, doing the gardening, going for bushwalks, listening to, the, to a river flow past, um, that's helped build that inner strength and belief in myself again, all of that stuff coming back, um, exercising, eating right, sleeping right, taking care of the physical body has also helped. And I find when I start dipping down on my self-esteem, 
and my self-belief and all of that stuff, it's because I haven't been sleeping right or I haven't been eating right um, or I haven't exercised enough. Um, all those factors coming together um, are really good. Like you were saying with the, the, your network of five people, finding a network of people to help support you. For me, it was giving up a big network of support people for 11 years and starting a new job and, and not knowing whether I was going to have that again. And then finding it still was, was really big at helping. Um, and, and then obviously you've got your physical side and, and your spiritual side and, and then your um, family social side, but then that's that mental side. And for me, that's still an ongoing thing. It, I think for most of us, it'll always be an ongoing thing working on that, that negative, those negative thoughts, getting out of the, the pain and the trauma, moving forward. What does that look like for me? What do I need to do for me to be true to myself um, and to make myself proud rather than what others think of me? Um, so yeah, all those four things coming together are important, I think. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And like you said, sometimes it starts with one curtain or what, literally one seed. Yeah, one curtain, one seed, one walk in the bush. Um, putting one pie down and getting a fruit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, what, when you're looking back now, and I understand the story part of it or what happened, but what are kind of like the lessons that you've learned? What, what did you learn about yourself through that journey? What I learned was that throughout the marriage, I'd lost sight of me. Um, I was repressing me, putting myself to one side, um, learning that my needs, my wants, my emotions, my feelings, thoughts weren't important because the marriage was based around what she needed and what I needed to do to support what she needed. Um, so then learning since then that actually, no, I have a value, my thoughts, my feelings, my emotions are important. Um, and I need to start nurturing those and finding what those are again um, and moving forward, um, finding the courage to do stuff again. Um, like I know for me, that self-confidence thing was a big thing for part of it. And one of the ways I got around that was, was fine discussing with Ruth was, well, in order to get over that, to have a happy life, to have a friendship circle again, to maybe one day have another relationship, you've actually got to talk to people. Well, it's hard to talk to people when you're not self-confident and that's gone and then your self-esteem's gone. So what are people going to think about me? And, you know, all that stuff sort of weighs on you. So, the challenge that we set in place was what we called three on three. It's kind of like a basketball term, if you will. Um, and it was, again, like with the curtain thing, like it started with having to talk, having to get out of the house three times a week or three different days of the week and then talk to three complete strangers each day um, who, whether they like me or not, has no impact on my life because I don't know them. Um, so talking to them, if they refuse to talk to me or just walked away, well, then they're not part of my life anyway. So you know, um, accepting that is sometimes a lot easier than accepting if you talk to somebody that you do know 
and they walk away or don't listen to you, then that carries more weight um, and reinforces that negative stuff. So it was like talking to three strangers and, and, and it's not just saying hi, it's making a small comment or a conversation piece around something that's happening there and then. Like when you're lined up in the supermarket at the moment with all these COVID restrictions and you go, wow, there's a lot of people here. Like that's a conversation. And then they can either choose to answer or not, but I've taken that first step to start a conversation. Um, and then building the courage and the confidence up through that to then look at people maybe I work with or people I know in passing that I might like to get to know as a friend gives me that confidence to start that conversation with them and to build from there. Um, that's yeah. A great, um, that's a great technique to, to start doing it. And I want to also acknowledge something that I heard you said in the beginning of this um, little segment is that I repressed my own self-worth yep. in the relationship and I didn't talk about my wants and needs. It was something like that. And yeah, it's so you didn't right now, you didn't blame her. You didn't say, oh, she was the one repressing me. I was repressing myself. Is that responsibility, taking that responsibility, something that you were aware of or something that you worked on? Now it is, recognizing it now that that was what I chose to do at the time. Back then, it was just that's what it was. It wasn't a well, you're making me do this. It was just that's how it was, just what the action I did. I was more subconscious as that's, you know, I needed to do that. If I didn't, we'd end up in a yelling match if I started to say, well, this is what I'm needing and not doing this. And, you know, so it became easier to not. So I learned not to, um, if that makes sense. It's only now separating and separating, um, which are two separate things, separating from the, the relationship marriage and then separating myself from the situation and recognizing that has been able to say, well, that was actually a choice I made on how best to cope at the time and to get through and to make life a lot easier and less stressful. Um, so that was a choice I made. I can just as easily make another choice now and say, well, actually my feelings are important. My thoughts are important. All of that is important. It has a value, so therefore I can put it forward now. And if you don't like it, well, then I don't actually have to accept that. I can say, well, okay, that's your opinion, but I know it's still valuable. It's still a valid point. Um, I can set boundaries in place and say, well, if you're going to disrespect my opinions and my value of myself and stuff, then maybe you're not somebody I need in my life. Um, Having boundaries is a healthy thing. Protecting them is healthy. Um, when you start repressing them and holding them back and saying, well, okay, I'll let you decide how I am or who I am, then that's when it becomes unhealthy. Yeah, absolutely. And I can so relate with that. Um, and it's something that I also had to look at and be aware of the way I acted and take responsibility for my part, even though it was my ex's decision to uh, leave and, and end the relationship, I needed to take responsibility by saying I chose to ignore my wants and needs. I chose not to have boundaries. I 
chose to people please. And I'm fine with it. I'm not blaming myself. It was because I was unaware of this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 And another, it, it sort of raises an interesting point too, is like a lot of people talk about to be able to move forward, we need to forgive our ex. And, and for me, it's a real personal choice around whether we do or don't or whether we can or can't. Um, and a lot of people find that they can't move on unless they do. Um, and I've looked at it and I've discussed it with my counsellor and for me, from a personal point of view, now having regained that self-worth and self-value and stuff, it's like, well, actually, no, I don't need to forgive her. Um, I was acting within my morals within the relationship, despite the lack of intimacy for years at times. I stayed faithful. I did what I was asked by her to meet her needs. Um, after the first affair, she saw how it affected me mentally and physically. And yet two years later of watching me go through that, she still did it again. Um, so for me, I had to reach a point where I could still move on, but I don't feel I can forgive because for me, where I'm currently at, and it could change in 10 years or 20 years, I don't know. But right now, personally, from where I am at, by forgiving her on a level to me feels like I'm condoning her behavior and her actions and the way she treated me. Mm. It's like saying, well, it's okay that you treated me like that. I forgive you. It's like, well, that's not where I'm at and it's not how I feel. Um, so to be true to myself, I've got to say, well, okay, I can't forgive and I'll never forget, but I'm still going to move on. Mm. So how, how do I do that? And it's recognizing again, those things about what can I control? Can I control her behavior and her actions? Well, no, I can't. Can I control the way she treats me? No, I can't. I can control the way I treat myself. And I can control what my future looks like and the steps I take to get there. Um, so I can draw a line in the sand and say, well, that's there. I can't do anything about that. But on this half of the life, I can. Um, these are things I can do for me. Yeah, yeah. But again, it's, it's okay. personal for some you. people. Yeah. They, they can forgive. Others, they can't um so yeah yeah so how do you find your life now is it are you looking back going was separation the right thing to do or to have happened looking back now as painful as it was to deal with um and looking at how much time I lost, in a sense, um, of repressing myself and not being my true self. And then every time I try and step out a little bit more, getting pulled back and told, well, what about me? And having to cut back me again to be with, to do what she needed. To me, I lost, I've lost quite a bit of time. Um, especially if you consider that, from her own words, she never wanted to be married in the first place. And I only said yes because I asked. Um, and it hadn't been attracted to me since 18 months before we got married. And we got married in 2005. So, you know, it's 15 years worth of lost time, if you will, of putting myself completely into somebody else's life and doing what that other person wanted and putting my own choices in life on hold. So looking back now, it's like, well, 
yes, it is the right choice to have made. Um, should I have kept going through all that? Am I worth more than that? Yes, I am. Um, had the affairs happened, would I have continued what I was doing? Probably, to be fair, because I didn't know any different. You know, yeah. that's what we were doing. Um, but looking back now, having separated and being able to separate from it all, um, I've got goals now moving forward. Um, life's brighter and happier. Um, I feel I'm lighter as a person. Um, I've put the 20 kgs back on, but um, You're looking good. So I still feel lighter though. Like the spirit feels lighter. The energy's lighter. Um, mm. I don't feel weighted down anymore. Um, I'm more in touch with my self-worth and self-confidence and self-belief and, and all of that stuff. That's still a work in progress, but I'm more in touch with it now and recognize it now for what it is and, and how important it is um, and able to put boundaries in around that and defend those and, and not feel guilty about doing it anymore. Um, so, yeah. Mm. And that's, it's so good to hear and it's so good to um, see you now saying this. And it's something that I think because of that, I think because of my present, what I'm doing now, and the man I am today, I can forgive my, heck, my ex, and I, I totally get you that it's a personal choice. For me, I can forgive her because her actions, in hindsight, were correct. I was an unaware people pleaser with a tendency of saving people, so being the hero, acting yeah. because of past habits, childhood traumas and wounds and whatever, just going through life like that. And now I'm an aware man, so much more in touch with my own self-worth and boundaries and, and all of that stuff, Do, living my amazing life. So in a way I'm going, wow, actually her action or actions or, or, or what happened actually gave birth to that new me, to that happier, sure. more fulfilled, um, grounded, balanced man that I am today, still with all the work that I need to do. But, um, yeah. but that, that's, that's that for me. Like, that's how I look at it. Yeah. Yeah, like I said, it is a personal thing. Um, and like I said, that could change in 10 years. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, great. So tell me a little bit about what you're doing like today. Right. So now where I'm at currently is... Is I'm currently, I've started um, five, five years back prior to our separation. My goal in life, where I was trying to head to, was to, to become a um, sports psychologist. Um, and I'd started running a sports program in a local high school. I'd started doing some um, study towards a, a certificate in sport coaching and things. And the view had been to then move on to psychology. But then, obviously, the world collapsed around us. Um, and everything went out the window. And so there were other priorities around life, such as you know, full-time work and kids and finance, all of that stuff that we've already discussed. Um, but now I'm in a place where I've started studying again towards a diploma in psychology. And the view is to then move on and do my bachelor and then master's. Um, to be a sports psychologist, you need a, a master's degree. 
being 50 and only doing one paper trimester through correspondence, if I have to miss a couple of trimesters, I could actually be graduating at the same time as my nine-year-old daughter. Um, so the plan is to try and get it done a little bit quicker, but that's, that's where we're at um, with that. Um, so yeah, so with, with that is getting back into that was, I suppose, coming to a point with all that self-awareness stuff again and seeing where I'd been and then being a moderator on um, the Men Thriving Facebook group and, and mentoring some people and stuff, it's recognizing that actually I, I do have skills in this field and I need to recognize those and honor those and respect them and get back to what I was actually wanting to do because there's obviously a reason I was wanting to do it. Um, so getting back to that, okay, it's five years later and it's not quite the same plan, but it's getting back to that. Um, on top of that is um, doing a massive amount of training at the moment um, in between COVID lockdowns. Um, I woke up one morning at, I think it was three o'clock in the morning with this great idea of doing a massive fundraiser for child mental health because the issues we'd had with our, our youngest daughter. Um, trying to raise funds to pay for free counselling for kids that need it. Um, and the plan is to ride 400 kilometres in total in one go. Um, so working towards that. At the moment, the it's looking more like January before we'll be able to do that. But that all depends on COVID restrictions and, and a whole pile of other stuff that isn't in my control. Um, all I can do is control my training and, and getting that done. Um, so yeah, and then slowly in the embryonic stage is putting together a, a book for people traveling that journey through through the hell of separation. Um, so trying to put that together. That's amazing. And, um... and, then, and then on top of that, working with um, my two girls, um, with a couple of projects. Um, I've had to do a verbal, which has been interesting, having built up that self-confidence stuff again, um, talking to people. Um, two examples of where that's come to fruition would be last year, a friend of mine, 37 years, his father-in-law died. And they, and as you do, you say, you know, if there's anything you want me to do, you know, just, just let me know, I'll, I'll be there. Not expecting them to ask you to officiate the whole memorial service in front of everybody. Um, so that was that was ticked off, off the list last year. Um, and then, one of the projects that my daughters have is they want a rainbow bridge built for children in the city that have lost their pets to be able to go and remember their pets. So I've, I've done a verbal submission in person to a local council committee to, to put that idea forward. Um, so that's a little project we're currently working on. The council will hopefully get back to me next week. And then my, my eldest daughter created a card game during lockdown for us here in New Zealand last year. Um, and her goal is to get that put into shops. So since last year, we've worked our way through the design phase and the printing phase. We've now got a prototype made and we're kind of looking at the next step, which is the fundraising part of it and how we're gonna do that. The interesting part with that is she doesn't want her mother to know about it until it's in the shops. So for the last, year and a half nearly her and her younger sister have kept it a secret from her mother 
um, which is quite impressive when you look at the fact they're only seven and nine um, to keep something that that important. That yeah. So yeah. So a few projects on the go at the moment, which is good and exciting. Um, gives us a purpose, if you will. So yeah. Amazing. So um, what would you like to tell other men listening now? Wow. Let's see. Where do you start? Um, <laughs> if you have to sum it up for like you know like a couple of things, what's the open the curtain? <laughs> <laughs> open the curtain. Plant the seed. Um, seriously, guys, you. You've all got the strength within you, um, whether you feel it at the moment or not, or know it at the moment or not, you do actually have the strength in you to get through the pain and the trauma that you're currently going through. As hard as it is to see or feel or understand, there are people who have been where you've been, okay? To me and myself, Ty, some of the others you've heard on these podcasts, they've been where you've been. We've gotten through it. It is possible. There is hope. Um, don't be afraid to put your hand up and say, I need help to reach out. Look at yourselves and say, what is it that I really want? What can I control? What's valuable to me? Um, be true to yourself and make yourself proud. Don't rely on other people's opinions on you. Don't ruminate in that, that pain and that negative story start looking at what the story moving forward is. You know, you've, you know what the back, not the past looks like. You, you've been there. It's like, what's the future look like now? You don't like the past because it's got all that pain and negativity and trauma in there. If you're happy living in that, fine. But seriously, be honest with yourselves and say, am I happy being negative? Am I happy being sad? Am I happy being depressed? Am I happy not having what I want? And, and honestly, most of you will say no, that you're not. And you want something better, okay? Have, have the knowledge from us that you can reach out and ask for help, okay? You have that strength. So, yeah. That's, uh, that's amazing, mate. I'm just um, here listening and smiling and feeling such joy um, to, um, to have this chat with you, feeling very inspired. So, um, yeah, thank you so much for joining me today. That was oh, you're welcome anytime. Awesome, Trev. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely catch up soon. Definitely. Thanks, Tamir. Cheers, mate. As a divorce coach, I guide men through separation. The work involves overcoming the emotional roller coaster, stopping victimhood, and re engaging the masculine identity. If you'd like to know more, go to divorcecowboy.com.au or look for me, Tamir Berkman, on Facebook or LinkedIn.